Well, my thanks to Tiffany for that uh, great pivot from where we were to where we're going in so many ways, because in a lot of ways, the waiting is, is there, but what we're seeing is the results of what happened when trust wasn't uh, used for God while waiting happened. Um, they didn't wait for the soup to be done. And uh, that was a great way to say it. Thank you, Tiffany. Let's read our text for today. Um, it's from Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Uh, by this point, the promise has been fulfilled from God for a son in Isaac. Yeah, what you see there is go, to, go a couple chapters later if you're watching online to 21. Um, the child mentioned right away is Isaac. So it says, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation." Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. I want to start with a simple truth this morning and expand it with, in two directions as we go. God can be trusted. That's the truth. God can be trusted. Now, we can expand that in two directions, which end up two sides of the same coin, and that God can be trusted to do what he promised, and God can be trusted to bless and restore his creation. So let's start with the promise piece of that. God can be trusted to do what he promised. God is a God of blessing by nature, and God's first blessing was creation. God's first blessing was creation with the intent of shalom. We would normally translate it as peace, but that's not full enough for what God wanted. God wanted total human flourishing, his image to be the fullest image created uh, in, uh, as humans that interact with what he created and with himself to the fullest possible degree in harmony. That's shalom. That is obviously not what we're living right now because we have had some part in messing that up and it started in chapter 2 of Genesis. Adam and Eve already shatter shalom by that point. 
Part of that is the shattering of trust with God. And that's the, the battle that we battle for a long time is trusting God from that point on. So let's talk about trust, since that's the point today, that God can be trusted. Trust is one of those things that's built over time. Um, I've been a pastor here at First Covenant for seven years now. Um, if an appointment gets on my calendar, which is in electronic form, um, I will be there. If it's on my calendar, I'll be there. I can think of only three times in the last seven years where I put it on my calendar and I wasn't there. And actually, in the one I'm thinking about right now, I put it for the wrong date. So I was there just two days later. So, uh, and in fact, I have an appointment with that same person this week who double-checked with me just to make sure, right? But that's how trust works. It takes a long time to build up, and it takes just a moment to break. And even beyond that, it's built up uh, like this person that I'm meeting this week. You know what? They're going to they're gonna double-check for a while if we make another appointment. Why? Because I broke the trust accidentally. That's trust is something that you build over time. And, and actually, think about it to yourself. If you're taking notes, even write this down. Uh, think of someone you trust. Think of a name of someone you really trust. What experiences have established that trust in that person or those people that you trust most? And I trust my wife, for instance. I trust my family. Uh, there, I can think of a lot of experiences that I could write down that built that trust. Trust is built on reliability through experience, ultimately. And, and one interesting thing that I think sometimes we, we may or may not recognize is that no matter where we find ourselves in relationship to God this morning, you actually already have enough trust banked up or enough experience banked up to trust God. And, and think of it this way. If you, it, it may be cliche to say it, but if you count your blessings, you'll probably start to figure that out. If you start writing down many good things that you have in this life and even abilities that you have, you might start to figure out that God has already been a God of blessing towards you in many ways. And I'll give you one thing to add to that list, the ability to write the list. Furthermore, not just the ability to write the list, but the ability to write a list and have a coherent thought that you can trust that's not chaotic, but that was put there by a designer. As, as in, your body was formed and created by someone with intent. Trust is built the same way with God that it's built with humans. It's built in those experiences. The difference is with God, while his plans might not be what we were thinking, and his timing might be a little bit different than we were thinking, God will never break that trust. We will, human to human. We will, human to God, but God will never break the trust with us. So if we look at our story here from Genesis of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael, and if we look specifically at uh, Abraham and Sarah for a moment, God, what God is trying to do is fulfill a promise to restore shalom through that family line. That's what's been going on throughout the story so far. And God has shown that he's trustworthy through that story over and over, calling Abraham to a new land, giving him a new name. God's been faithful in fulfilling how those worked out, uh, making a covenant with Abraham that's basically kind of reiterated twice and, and then some, uh, protecting Abraham and Sarah through their journeys, all wherever they went, even helping to rescue Lot, all kinds of different things that God has done to build trust with Abraham and Sarah. 
And you can see when we get to this point in the story, God has fulfilled his promises. He was trustworthy, and now it becomes abundantly clear he was. Where we left the text last week in chapter 18, an interesting thing occurred, and the way it's, it's written, it just leaves you on the cliff's edge at the end. Like, why did it end this way? Last week, the three visitors came, and they told Abraham and Sarah, hey, by the way, Sarah, who's well beyond the age of childbearing, is going to have a child a year from now. She laughs on the other side of the tent. They hear it, and they say, why did you laugh? Now, in verse, chapter 18, verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh, the three visitors that were there. And that's the end of the story. We're kind of left hanging. Wait, why did it end there? Get to this week, just before what we read today. If you look, if you have your text still open, however you're reading, in Genesis 21, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. God is trustworthy. The Lord did what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore his son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. God is trustworthy. God can be trusted. And then if you skip down to verses 6 and 7, it says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Hold on to that. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? I don't know if you've ever thought about what the name Isaac means. It means he laughs. God has brought me laughter, quite literally staring her in the face. God has brought me laughter. God didn't do it as an I told you so. God didn't do it as a look you, you doubted, but here you go. God did it as a marker of his blessing. She could look and see God's blessing every day on the face of her child. When she called, he laughs to herself. And think about that. When we think about the trustworthiness of God, where has God tagged his goodness in your life? Where has God put those kinds of markers of his blessing in your life? When I was talking about counting your blessings, write down some of those things. For our online viewers, if you're so bold, be a testimony and share some of those online. Where has God tagged his goodness in your life and given you those markers of his blessing and his faithfulness and his trustworthiness? God can be trusted to do what he promises. Second thing we can say, though, about this is that God can be trusted to bless and restore. Because the question, as you read through this part of the text, is what are we supposed to do with the relationship between Hagar and Sarah? Because it seems kind of messed up. It seems really crazy, all that's going on here. And so I think it's important to point out something as you consider this and virtually a lot of things in the Old Testament. Here's a little... Uh, helpful biblical reading knowledge. There's a difference in when we're reading the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, in what is descriptive versus what is prescriptive in the text. There's a lot of historical, useful, relevant information about what happened, but it's not always what God wanted to happen. That's descriptive information. And then there's prescriptive information. So some descriptive information right here in the text Abraham has two, two wives in a polygamous relationship. That's descriptive. That's not God's intent. 
That's not prescriptive. God, in fact, it's, it, you can see it fails every time it happens within the text. And God has a different intent for marriage from the very beginning. Man, woman, together, and co-creators with God in that way. You can see, if you want a more extreme example of descriptive versus prescriptive, uh, that Judge Jephthah in the book of Judges, who's uh, no model of virtue, says he's going to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his house, and it happens to be his daughter, and he follows through to sacrifice it to God. And guess what? Throughout Scripture, God says, that's detestable to me. Don't do that. That's descriptive. And then the prescriptive is, don't do that, Jephthah. That's awful. So we have to separate those out. What Sarah recommends to Abraham a few chapters earlier, because she says, I can't have a child, even though God's promised a child. You go make a child with Hagar, our slave. Lots of problems all of a sudden that are coming off the page, right, as we consider that. That's descriptive, not prescriptive, that this was what God wanted or what pleased God. It actually was not an act of faith. It showed a lack of trust. That's what it showed. That's why it's important to make that distinction. They've given in uh, to some of the consequences of sin. Right? The, the original sin is really pride. We've all succumbed to pride to put ourselves on the throne, God's throne in our own heart, to say, I know better than God. That's pride. That's sin itself. And one of the major byproducts of sin is that we lack trust in God. That trust erodes over time. And as humans, we're constantly battling that. We're constantly needing to work on trusting God more. And as you see in the text, all throughout this story, breaking trust leads to many problems uh, throughout this whole story. It leads to painful, difficult, complicated situations that take a long, long time to repair. Anytime trust is broken... It takes forever to repair it. You can see that um, throughout, because they start not trusting God's timing and not trusting that God is good on his word the way that they think, they, uh, they don't become more virtuous. They become less virtuous as they give in to that. Abraham ends up with a second wife. And once that happens, and then once the, and we know it's a wife technically because he legally divorces her in this section. That's the language. Um, it, it's considered as a wife. Uh, he has the second wife, he has a child with the second wife, and you can just see, off, off, immediately once that happens, jealousy, envy, a competitive, mean-spirited nature all of a sudden takes place between a number of people. They're not better for it, they're worse for what happened. All around. They don't become more like the image of God, they become less like the image of God. You can also see that it negatively impacts others as Abraham and Sarah make this decision. Hagar who seems to be a relatively innocent bystander, at least from what we're told, is all of a sudden now dragged into this, and then poor Ishmael's born. And he didn't have anything to do with this, but now he does. And then you can see that as, as trust breaks down, it doesn't fix Sarah's shame, which was really what motivated her in the first place. She's feeling ashamed because in the ancient world in this time period, the, the most important primary task of being a woman is child-rearing and child-bearing. And she can't do the one thing that marks her as a woman in this sense of, of the pinnacle. And she feels ashamed. And in her shame, 
they make a bad decision. It really compounds her shame, ultimately. It doesn't fix it as they try and take things to their own hands. Not only that, if we want to really see the, the shame at why this would motivate her, Abraham, when God gives Abram the name Abraham and changes his name, Abraham means father of many. So even in her own husband, she's seeing that the timing of God is not working like she wants, and she's the father of, he's the father of many, but she can't produce a child. Her shame continues to be compounded. She gets jealous of Hagar from conception on. It's problematic. They cause all kinds of problems by not trusting God. And we can recognize a truth that God does not bless every human action or inclination. They did a bunch of stuff that was not pleasing to God. And we have to admit, we can do the exact same thing. We have the ability to mistrust and misuse God's good creation. Fancy word for that is sin. And we do it with regularity. And we do it really well. All too well. And it's not good and it's not right. But we can also recognize this truth. God has the ability to make lemonade out of our lemons. God has the ability to redeem his broken creation and fix shalom and put it back together again and offer us an opportunity to be a part of that plan. God never gives up on his creation. And as his next blessing, his first blessing is shalom, his next blessing is the redemption and reconciliation of that shalom through his son, Jesus Christ. It's through this family line and the covenant of Abraham that it's going to happen, but ultimately it's going to happen through Jesus. If we go to Colossians 1, you see that Jesus was in fact there the whole time, part of the creation, and he was also the the fix-it plan. It begins, it says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, hear that word, reconcile, to himself all things. That's putting back together that which is broken, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by making that shalom through his blood shed on the cross. I'm going to invite the band back forward, and as they come up, let's talk about the conclusion of the story with Hagar and Ishmael, because God is good to Hagar and Ishmael in the end. It seems bleak for them, It seems dark. It seems like they're forgotten. It seems like they're left out. Given their life, it would seem that it would be hard for them to trust God. And let's just point out, Ishmael was no angel by the time he leaves anyways. Isaac means he laughs. When that word comes up, he mocks. You have Ishmael, who would be about 17, mocking about a three-year-old, because that's about the time he would have been weaned in this time period. Mocks sounds like the word Isaac. There's a play on words. Not he laughs, but he mocks. But God is still good to Hagar and Ishmael, who got dragged into this. They're rejected by humans, but not by God. As they go into the desert, they discover that God had already provided what they need. They go out there, and it's, it's a 
horrible scene. It's a sad scene to see as she lays her son down thinking he's going to die there and steps a bow shot away, it says. But if you look at what God does, it says, God heard the boy crying and the angel called out to heaven, called her to lift the boy up. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled a skin with water and gave it to the boy to drink. And they're able to survive and not only survive and end up flourishing. God had already provided what they needed. He heard the cries in their desperate moment and responded. Is it possible that in your life God has already provided the things that you need to be restored and reconciled to him and drawn into his plan more and more? See, God knows that we all too naturally distrust uh, God knows that that causes, that causes more brokenness in our relationship with God, and that's the one relationship we're designed for, is our relationship with God. But God has provided a way to fix that. God has provided a way of redemption and reconciliation. God heard their cries. God hears our cries for help and has responded. Through Jesus Christ, he's fulfilled what was started with Abraham so that we can be reconciled and redeemed. But we need to take and respond to God. So consider this question before we pray. When was the last time you called out to God for help? They called out and God provides what they need. When was the last time you called out to God for help? For redemption. For reconciliation. For unity with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I'm grateful that we can trust you. And you will never break that trust. I'm grateful that you had an intent for us that you are not willing to give up on. But God, God, help us call out to you in these times when things seem more broken, things seem more difficult. Let us look inward first and see where we're missing the mark and where we're broken. Where we have mistrust of you and your intentions and have let those play out in the brokenness in this world. God, restore us. Reconcile us to yourself today through your son, Jesus Christ. Let us not say no to that fulfillment of your promise, but yes. Yes, Lord. May your son restore me by his resurrection power. Yes, Lord. May I be reconciled to you through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be our hope and our will and even our cry today. Wherever we find ourselves in relation to you, we would not walk away from this moment farther, but closer because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.